I'm Matt Womble. And I'm Sachin Patel. Welcome to Healthcare Crossroads, a dialogue on the impact the healthcare system has on people. Edwards Deming, a heralded American engineer, said, every system is perfectly designed to achieve the results that it gets. In our combined 45 years of experience in the healthcare system, we have seen over and over how the system has achieved results that we would never want for ourselves, our loved ones, or those that we are responsible to care for. This podcast is an opportunity to examine the human experience when it encounters the healthcare system from a variety of perspectives. Healthcare Crossroads will dive deeper by engaging voices from the patient, provider, and healthcare system. Our goal is to further the dialogue to better understand what needs to be improved and challenge our thinking to make the experience better, something we all desperately want and need. This podcast is new and is a grassroots effort. We apologize if there's any background noise that interferes with our discussion. To start us off today, we're going to hear from Alyssa, who is here with us to share her experience when she tore her hip through childbirth and went on a year-long odyssey in the healthcare system to heal, recover, and move forward. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to thank you so much for your willingness to share your story and your experience. Um, Just start off by telling a little bit about yourself, your background. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, So my name is Alyssa and I have um, a little boy. He's 21 months and I live here with my husband Um, and I have a master's in health promotion management and I've worked in the health promotion public health sector for about 10 years. Uh, Before my injury, I was very active. I've always been active. So I would get up at 530 and do a pure bar class or go for a long walk with the dog. Uh, so I've always valued my my activity, but have since uh, missed that very much. So you were fit, you were healthy, and then your pregnancy occurred without complication. Well, then what happened? Yeah, so my, my pregnancy was great, and labor and delivery was fine. Um, healthy little boy, and all was well with me, and we you know enjoyed our time at the hospital, and then got sent on our way. And uh, I was in a lot of pain, and it was my first baby, so I thought it was normal. I went to my OB. I went to my primary care doctor. They both assured me that it was fine, that it was normal. But after three months, uh, I started to wonder if maybe something else was going on. It wasn't until six months after I tried physical therapy and, uh, you know, some other pain treatments, I realized this isn't normal. I couldn't walk around the block without being in pain. Um, and so I saw an orthopedist and, uh, they, with an MRI and some other diagnostic work, they diagnosed me with a pretty severe labral tear in my hip joint. So from the time you had your, your baby to when you were diagnosed, was that? Was it, that was nine, uh, that nine, was about six months. Six months. Mm-hmm. It's almost having another baby. It really was. It was a long, wow. long time to be in pain. And I, um, you know, had tried very conservative approaches as guided by mm-hmm. my orthopedist, uh, but they were not enough to really get me out of pain. So uh, we scheduled a, a pretty intense surgery. And the, and the classic question in healthcare is, you know, rate your pain on a scale yes. of zero to 10. So when you left the hospital, mm-hmm. 
um, now with the context of pain for a long period of time, how would yeah. you rate your pain when you left the hospital? When I left the hospital, well, childbirth, childbirth is a lot. So I would say it was probably like a nine okay. when I left. Um, but even six months later, it would vary between a five and a seven on a regular basis. So it was pretty intense at times. And you probably, I'm guessing, not a clinician, but you probably are limited in terms of what pain medication. Oh, absolutely. And I've never liked taking pain medication. Um, there's only so much that Tylenol can do, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you're in chronic pain. That's that's a high level of pain. Um, and having a child, and mm-hmm. you know, women are notorious for having a higher pain tolerance than men. Yes. So we're talking extreme pain for a long period of time. Yes. You've got a newborn baby in the house. Yes. You and your husband are both working, mm-hmm. right? Yep. All Full this time. is continuing going on. Yep. Life kind of is trying to yep. keep going. Yep. Um, and you're, and, and you go from having an OB, um, you know, delivery, labor mm-hmm. delivery to now something else. And I imagine yes. this isn't, you said it's three months before you kind of said, you know, this is just not going away. Right. This is not right. Right. Um, how, can you explain that experience of shifting now from, you know, you know, the healthcare system by your background, you know, I you do. probably have to go to your primary care and then get referred yep. and those kind of things. Can you explain that process a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, it's funny. I love my OB practice and I really love my primary care doctor. Um, it, it wasn't that I felt dismissed, uh, but I felt like they didn't understand the level of pain I was in um, and didn't really know how to direct me. So I definitely had to become my own advocate and, you know, kind of go after other professionals that they may not have recommended. So, you know, I saw a pelvic therapist who, mm-hmm. who after I think eight weeks of, which is a very common therapist to see, you know, all women in Europe have this therapy after childbirth, but in America, hardly anybody does, you know, and I've actually never heard of that. Oh yeah. So it's automatically, you get pelvic floor therapy after delivery in Europe for eight weeks. And it's just wow. part of your plan and people and women in America just they don't think about it. They aren't told about it. So let me give you some context. This is just my mind's blown a little bit. Yeah. Just from that statement alone. So Sachin is uh, the f- a physician, just to remind mm-hmm. everybody. Yeah. Uh, intensivist, intensive care, pulmonologist, um, super well-trained uh-huh. uh, physician. He himself is a father of yep. two. Mm-hmm. Has gone through the childbirth process <laughs> multiple times. Has had your own story and issues with the healthcare system. Um, all of this to say, you know, you didn't know that there was a pelvic specialist and that was no. a thing. And, yep. and it's a common thing other places. They're very common. Very my my sister-in-law is from France and she's like, oh yeah, all women have this. Like, that's so strange that you don't, you know? Um, it's so, interesting. The length of the time for yeah. that is almost the time of FMLA. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That Which is an interesting. Yes. For if you're not the yes. So parent. so I advocated mm-hmm. for myself in that way. Tracked one down that was not covered by insurance. So my mm-hmm. insurance did not cover that, and that was all out of pocket. And um, yeah. And so she was like concerned that I was still in pain, and she recommended me to an orthopedic practice. Um, she suspected a labral tear. So she was actually the one that figured it out. Yeah. So three months you were by your, not to be dramatic, but you were, you were figuring this out on your own. Yeah. I would say closer to six months. Closer to six Mm -hmm. months. Yeah. And when, so when did you see the therapist and at the six month kind of? I would say uh, at like four months four. or so. And I'd really tried that along with regular PT. And then at six months, finally saw the orthopedist. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So this sounds like a lot of 
a lot of appointments, a lot of, a lot of appointments. bouncing around here and there, and we haven't really even gotten into the door. I know. To fix the problem. I know. Um, so kind of guide us through like what that process was like from the referral to entering the system of let's fix this tear. Yeah, it was, um, it was a lot of education on my part. And like I said, I come from a of healthcare background. So it studied extensively, specifically the healthcare system in America and how that works and have had experience working in it and, um, being on the patient side and really having to live it is, is very exhausting and confusing. And this is coming from someone who I consider myself very health literate as far as health insurance is concerned, as far as, you know, the financial pieces, all of that. And it, it was, um, it was hard to navigate. And I felt privileged that I have a very supportive husband who helped me navigate it as well. And to have, you know, a a padded bank account so I could go to these appointments that weren't necessarily covered by my insurance, like the pelvic floor therapy, or, um, I mean, I tried everything before surgery, acupuncture, Mm -hmm. trigger point massage. Um, I tried, dry needling. I tried like regular PT. I tried water PT. I I mean, I started doing aromatherapy and Reiki. I was so desperate for Was all of that pretty much out of pocket? All of it. Wow. All of it. And you mentioned your supportive husband, which Mm -hmm. that's that's a blessing in this situation, but he also has a healthcare background, right? He does not, but he um, helped me extensively with a previous chronic health problem that I had. And he was, I was so exhausted by it that he navigated the whole thing for like two years. So he, yes, how the billing works, how appointments go, what you need to get cleared for approval, all that stuff. So, Mm. yeah. So two experts in the system yes are starting this long process which we're going to talk through Mm -hmm. and most people wouldn't have access to your point to the things that you tried to to avoid surgery right right, once you had a diagnosis right so so once I kind of had exhausted those those things um it was the fall and I so it was I guess six ish months after, um, childbirth. And I saw the orthopedist got an MRI, um, an X-ray, the diagnostic tools revealed a yeah, pretty severe labral tear, um, and some other problems because of that instability. So muscle tears, tendonitis, bursitis, that kind of stuff. So it had kind of, um, snowballed a bit since I hadn't had it treated more quickly. It hadn't been diagnosed more quickly. So, um, I, I scheduled surgery. So after getting sort of the diagnosis of a labral tear to getting surgery, it was, I mean, it was a complete maze. You know, I would check into the sports, um, uh, surgery office and, you know, you fill out this form, right? Like rate your pain. What questions do you have for the surgeon? You know, stuff like that, which I'm, you know, I'm thinking this is great never got addressed. <laughs> I mean, I never saw the, and I really liked my surgeon. He had good bedside manner. He, I did my research. He's one of the best internationally for this surgery. I trusted him, but I'm like, you know, why do you have these great forms, these great questions if they're not used, you know? Um, and then actually going to the office, you know, it's seeing the PA in one building, then having to schedule, um, an appointment with the actual surgeon, in another building and later, you know, it took three weeks to get the MRI. It took another two weeks for them to interpret them and schedule an appointment, you know, then when I'm there for my appointment, it's filling out the forms that aren't addressed. And then it's going down the hall to see someone else to fit me for a brace that is billed totally separately. 
it's having someone come to my home with a CPM machine. What's a CPM? That is a continuous passive motion machine, I think. So basically after hip surgery to keep the joint mobile, um, you lay in it for up to six hours a day and have it kind of rotate your leg. Um, A behemoth of a (laughs) contraption. That person never even delivered my CPM and it was supposed to be there 48 hours before surgery. My husband had to track this person down in Chapel Hill, drive to pick it up. You gotta be kidding. He said he was... um, uh, busy with classes, their field rep. So um, yeah, that was great. And then the compression and ice machine got delivered by someone separately. Yeah, a separate machine. Yes. So all of these things were kind of done in their silos and none of it was coordinated through an online platform, through one office. It was all up to my husband and I to keep taps on, mm-hmm. track people down, get information, that kind of thing. And one of the rules, rules of our podcast is we're not, this is not picking on any individual surgeon Mm-mm. system or nope. anything else. So really to our point doesn't matter where no but it, but it is important to say this is at one of the national leading you know facilities and like you said a surgeon who is world-renowned for this type of surgery yes when i was in the waiting room i met three people that had flown out of state to see him specifically so so needless to say you're the best mm-hmm. and this is still common yes right? so um systemic issues chasing down people in parking lots for machines yes uh, according a lot of it yourself paying for it a lot of it yourself yep. i understand yeah so well and, and you still have a baby at home to take care yes. of and jobs to do yes and after surgery i mean i couldn't lift him for three months so um you know it was a very extensive recovery the last thing you want to worry about is paperwork and you know billing issues and tracking machines down and you know you just you want to just recover and focus on yourself and you really can't you know it's frustrating i imagine that you know we're really worried we're, we're better now about acknowledging and screening for postpartum depression mm-hmm. i can't imagine having that as a reality looming but also mm-hmm. having a real life kind of illness that the chronic pain and yeah. recovery and just limited mobility yep how were you supported by the healthcare system? You know, I the, the screenings in this country for postpartum depression and anxiety are are so inadequate, if you ask me. Again, talking to my sister-in-law and her friends from Europe, you know, this is a very, you have people um, similar to postpartum doulas that come to visit the mother after birth in their home and talk to them and really figure out how are they struggling, you know. And here it's, I mean, I went to check in far too long after delivery. I think it was like two weeks after just to check in with my OB and if you fill out a screening for depression and you're not depressed, so you move on, you know, but it's, you know, I had horrible postpartum anxiety. The form didn't address that as all, at all, you know? And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is it normal to have these thoughts of not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't leave my son in his crib. Like I had to watch him breathe all night, you know, and like thinking that's somehow normal and it's not. And my parents flew in to watch him breathe so that I would sleep. I mean, it was really extreme. And this, no one asked about that. No one, the screening tools didn't address that. You know, and when I brought up this chronic pain, you know, every single visit, it was just kind of pushed aside. Like, oh, it's normal. Women hurt after childbirth. Like you're fine. We don't see anything wrong, you know? And it's like, it's a very lonely place to be. You know, you feel like, gosh, I know this is not how I'm supposed to be feeling. Um, but I'm all by myself to navigate that, you know, and I could imagine if my postpartum, you know, if I had been deeply depressed, like I can't imagine navigating it while feeling like that, you know? 
And, and I will say this too. I mean, you mentioned pure bar and I, I can only imagine <laughs> some, something that I would never be able to do, but um, you were very physically fit beforehand. Yes. I took my 500th pure bar class just a few weeks before I delivered. So <laughs> you call that pre-morbid condition. <laughs> you went into the illness yeah. in peak. Right. I uh, did. Pre-morbid condition. Like mm-hmm. you were, the, I did. you know, top 0.1% of yeah. people. That very, see. very physically and that, fit. Yeah. And that's what, mm-hmm. that's what's interesting about this this because we're, we're looking at the very tip of the iceberg just of your story yeah and your story is i mean we're, we're only beginning and yeah it's already complex and yeah. difficult and heartbreaking yet anybody else for the most part the 99 percent you're talking about that are not in peak physical condition this is going to languish right yeah. it's not not even from a systemic knowledge mm-hmm. or understanding or doing something but it can be covered over by so many other issues. Absolutely. Right? And and, compounded and yes. fester. And mothers are so bad at taking, they just, they mm. devote everything to them, to their children and, and just pushing forward and wanting to do it all. And, you know, you, when you don't have a system supporting a new mother and the new mother not supporting herself, it's, it's not a good situation, mm. you know? To really like advocate for yourself and feel empowered to do so is I think rare. And I felt empowered to do so. And I still struggled through the system, you know? So let's talk about that for a second. Um, Why were you empowered to speak out and see for yourself? Was that because of your background and training and understanding of the system? Or was that because people were asking and encouraging that of you? And I think we've already touched on this a little bit, but I just want to... Yeah, no, definitely just because of my background and knowing that if you need like a physician or a healthcare provider to really focus on your issue and, and offer you resources or additional screenings or support, you have to ask for it and you have to be really firm about it. Um, no one's going to check in with you and, you know, ask if you need something else. Well, well, but they did. And I'm going to pick on the system a little bit just to be clear about some things. So you mentioned Mm -hmm. this survey. Yes. This world-renowned surgeon set yeah. up, but yeah. nothing was done. So yeah, I guess they did ask, you, you, um, but not right. in person. <laughs> not in person, and then, right. but nothing was done. Nothing was done, no. And then the same kind of thing in your in your follow-up appointments. Yeah, they would ask you how you're doing, and you mentioned these chronic pain, and then it's yeah. like kind of sloughed off. It's like, ah, be, you'll be all right. Yep. So it's, it's an interesting disconnect even within the system that you have to self-advocate, but you mm-hmm. almost have to self-advocate through some perceived barriers, right? Yes. Like, oh, well, I'll, I'll be okay. I can trust them because they're asking me the right questions. Right. They're, they're advocating for me, obviously, so I can relax. But right. that's a false sense of security from what your story is telling us. Definitely. So interesting. I just want to point those out because mm-hmm. it's, it's it really is heartbreaking to kind of go through this experience with you and feel just a little bit about the just the anxiety, the the chaos, the yeah. you know, raising a son, mm-hmm. you know, first child and yep. and all of this thing going on. Um one of the questions that we talked about a little bit about the financing of this and you said yes. that you had a an ability to do that. Yes. Um can we talk a little bit about just overall ballpark of how much this this experience from post op uh, or sorry, let's let's yeah. start from where post uh, delivery rehab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say that we've easily spent thirty thousand dollars ourselves. Wow. Out, um, of pocket. out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and and what what are all the pieces of that? that I would and I uh, I would say only um, about five thousand of that was um, like meeting my deductible. 
Mm. Everything else was me trying to navigate the waters in other ways. So doing these um, kind of grasping at straws and trying to just throw the kitchen sink at it, at it like the acupuncture, like the trigger point massage, like um, second opinions out of network, um, you know, that kind of thing. Just, just trying everything um, before and after surgery, truly, because after surgery, I was still in pain and I still am in pain now. And it's been, you know, almost two years. So I'm still spending easily over a thousand dollars a month on these things like acupuncture and massage and, um, you know, chiropractic care. And I mean, really anything to kind of alleviate the pain, which is the ultimate end result of this journey or current end. Right. Um, but you also knew that this was coming, right? You, you, in your insight into the healthcare system, you knew that costs were going to be a factor. You knew that you had a $5,000 deductible. Mm -hmm. And as these things were coming at you, how did you approach that just with your problem solving skills and, and knowing that things may or may not be covered, for example? I mean, I think so for, for example, when we were dealing with a previous, um, health concern that I had, we saw several specialists and, um, you know, there was one time that we went in, I saw a specialist and, um, I had called beforehand said, is this, you know, um, this treatment covered, you know, build as a specialist office. I pay my copay, whatever they said. Yes. Well, turns out when I walked down the hall to see another specialist in their practice, they build as a hospital. So I got a $700 bill for a 10 minute conversation. Mm-hmm. It, it was that experience. Totally that, worth it though, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, I didn't even see this person again. It wasn't oh. the right thing. So, and, and leave it to my husband. I mean, he is so kind and so patient. He also has bulldog tenacity. So he called, you know, this office and basically negotiated out of the bill. He's like, we're not paying this. You need to pay this. Like, you know, called them no exaggeration, probably 20 times until they finally Mm -hmm. agreed to do it. So a lot of people wouldn't do that. They would just eat it, you know? So after that experience, we were very diligent through the hip process with this hip surgery. So, um, getting, calling, um, the physician's office, the hospital, getting CPT codes, which is what insurance uses to you know, or the office uses to bill insurance and what they cover, asking the insurance, are these CPT codes covered, taking screenshots of those conversations, like documenting all of this so that we don't have, you know, $20,000 oopsies, you know, of, oh, we didn't ask and it's out of network or something, you know? Um, and just to, let me reiterate yeah. what you said from, from my perspective. Mm-hmm. So I go into the doctor, yeah. I'm going to get a bill. Mm-hmm. My insurance is either going to cover it or not going to cover it. Mm-hmm. You have a choice being your own advocate to mm-hmm. go to certain doctors or, un, or, yes. or, or do, go to certain places, do certain things, get certain therapies. Yes based on what you know your insurance will cover. Correct. So you don't have a surprise five or $10,000 bill later. That was the goal. That was the goal. So what happened? That what was, was the, the goal. Result? So despite our best efforts, um, we got a few bills that were either um, inaccurate or uh, were, you know, different CPT codes were used. Um, they had promised us something that was not delivered. Um, they were demanding payment, you know, these kind of things. And it took months to resolve of, you know, getting documentation in order, sending them screenshots. I mean, thank God I did that because I was able to, you know, get out of some of these, you know, really high charges, but I don't think a lot of people would have done that. And they, you know, we're lucky to have, you know, some savings to cover 
these things, but you know, a lot of people don't. And well, I think the biggest thing that you came into this situation with is your education. Yeah. And you certainly had financial security, mm-hmm. but you have uh, education about yes. the healthcare system, how it works, and so your kind of your radar was already out there. Absolutely. Um, whereas the average healthcare consumer. Mm-hmm. patient, family, they have complete trust in the system. Absolutely. Absolutely. I see it all the time. And I did, you know, in my professional setting, just seeing so many people get, you know, truly, I mean, it, the, I forget what percentage it is, but the number of families that file bankruptcy, mm-hmm. the majority are due to health, um, health reasons, the bills. We'll, we'll, we'll check on that fact and put it in the Please do. I would love to be reminded of the percentage. My, my understanding is also it's the number one cause for bankruptcy. Right? It medical, is, yes. Medical bills. Yep. Um, and, and just for the sake of doing a little number counting, yeah. so you, you ended up with about $30,000 in yes. bills. And this is total guess, but what do you think if you hadn't have done all of that due diligence and said, hey, look, no, I'm sorry, you said it was mm-hmm. going to be covered. Here's the DRG. Here's the conversation. Here's all the documentation. Take it back. Yep. Don't, you know, if you hadn't had done that uh-huh. for this, what would that number have been? In Easily 50 or 60. Easy. Wow. That's that's staggering. I mean, 30,000 mm-hmm. is enough, but mm-hmm. to double that because of just uh, the lack of coordination, lack of understanding, yeah. even though you did your due diligence. That's, yep. that's It's interesting that the oftentimes uh, as a physician, um, the doctor, quote mm-hmm. unquote, is often the person that is blamed mm-hmm. in, in a lot of circles mm-hmm. for the system or in a lot of experiences that you're having. Right. You know, we're crooks, you know, mm. they, you know, this and that. And, mm-hmm. and it sounds like your poor surgeon, he, he did the surgery, he did his job did. really well. He did. And it sounds like even though he's a world expert, mm-hmm. he didn't have much control on navigating this whole experience for you. No, no. And I certainly didn't blame him for that piece. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was there like a coordinator or navigator in a lot of, uh, we we'll get using more navigators in medicine. There's a, there was a patient coordinator. <laughs> Bless her. She, I mean, she really, uh, I think she tried, um, but there were so many moving pieces that it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't coordinated. So she could point me in the right direction and give me some resources. But for example, you know, after you have surgery, you, um, you get packets of, of information right along the way. You don't keep these pieces of paper. We live in a digital world. I mean, I lost those within, you know, two days, but I needed to refer back to some things. Um, and those packets were found online, but what wasn't found online were like Q and a, or like frequently asked questions. So it's 3am. We have a concern about a medication I'm taking. Like, what do you do? You know, there's not an easy way to access your team or, you know, to ask a question. And, um, you know, I'm blessed to have an uncle who's a doctor. So I could call him if there was a really important question. But again, it's just navigating that aftercare too. It's just really um, convoluted. The whole thing is just very muddy. So it doesn't sound like you have a lot of um, hard feelings against the surgeon or let's just start there. How do you feel about your surgeon in hindsight or retrospect? I don't. I think he did um, an excellent, an excellent job. And his team, like we'll go one layer out. Yeah, the PA was amazing. Um, the nurses that were part of his team during surgery and after were great. Um, 
And what are you assessing that on? I mean, obviously you're not in the surgical room. You don't know how well he did yeah, surgery, no, just what was your perspective that gives you that conclusion? I would say two things. One, just the interpersonal um, relationship that we developed through the appointments. You know, he was polite. He was warm. He took time with me, which despite not going over the survey. Um, he, I do feel like he, he wasn't, you know, he, I feel like some doctors have one hand on the doorknob at all times, right? Like they're just trying to, you know, churn and burn. Um, but he, I feel like he did take the time to, to listen to me. Um, and then his team did as well. You know, I had questions before surgery and, you know, you're nervous and they were all very, very kind and warm. Um, and then the second reason I would give him sort of, um, high praise is I had a second MRI with contrast, you can really see, you know, detail level of the repair and how the joint looks and it was in really good condition. So according um, to somebody that was telling you that or your own interpretation? No, no, no. A radiologist who so was reading it. Yeah, great, yeah. Whoever did that did a great, did a great job. job. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's um, and I had a second opinion from another orthopedist who, who said the same thing. So perfect. So um, you got extra confirmation, bedside manner, mm-hmm. world renowned, but also the, the end result was. Yeah. So the, the, the fact that be. I was still in chronic pain just kind of got, yeah. <laughs> just kind of got pushed to the side of like, well, at least this is fixed, you know, right. which is a weird kind of mental game, I guess. But and, and if you don't mind, that's a very interesting piece. But I want to go back to mm-hmm. the, yeah. the 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 kind of your assessment of mm-hmm. this experience. Sure. But so we we talked about your physician, your mm-hmm. the physician's team. Yep. If we go one step out, I think it gets really fuzzy because you mentioned a lot of different moving parts yes. about everybody from physical therapists that are in the system, outside the system, yes. MRI techs, yes. all these different yeah. equipment, yep. right? All these pieces. So yep. if we just go to the kind of the healthcare, let's let's just keep it all in one big bucket. Sure. So how would you lump kind of the rest of the experience from a from a the bedside manner personality? Yeah. Yeah. Empathy, kind of. So I would say if you look at each person in their silo, I would say eight or nine out of 10. Hmm. Great interactions with these people. I mean, helpful, kind, wonderful. When I take a snapshot of my experience Mm -hmm. from A to Z and like the system as a whole and how that was organized, two out of 10. Interesting. I mean, it was the messiest, most exhausting, most confusing thing I've ever tried to tackle. It was, it was awful. Hmm. It's a very interesting perspective on, on the system. Um, and I think that one thing that came out in our, in our conversations that led to this podcast were really this realization that you weren't really finding fault with any one piece. It was the collection, as you just described of the system itself and and the results, the lack of coordination between the pieces and even the lack of, um, I might go as far as to say, if something didn't fit in the box, it was kind of just pushed off the side. So you you were a mom and had pain or you had a labral Mm -hmm. repair that would look like it was perfect. Mm -hmm. I mean, the theme is it fits in the box and it's great. If it's outside the box, then hmm, maybe somebody else will figure it out. Yeah. And it was up to me to kind of keep throwing darts blindly until Hmm. I kind of hit something, you know? Wow. Along those lines. Yeah. Since the MRI looked good, mm-hmm. you know, but you were still having pain, yeah. did you ever feel that people were not believing you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Um, and I hated the fact that people believed me more when my husband was there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. <laughs> that was an interesting trend that I uh, picked up on for sure, that doctors were less dismissive of me when my husband was there saying, you know, she's in a lot of pain, like, and we need more answers. 
So um, it was unfortunate. And I don't know if it's a, a you know, woman thing. I mean, I have mm-hmm. to think that maybe that's part of it. Um, doctors not believing you that you're, you know, maybe even being a little hysterical, you know, mm-hmm. exaggerating the pain. Um, you know, at one point, you know, the a doctor, not the one who treated me, but, you know, I was like, you know, how am I supposed to manage this pain? And he said, well, we don't prescribe opiates. I'm like, well, <laughs> not asking for that. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. need some sort of way to like manage this in a more effective way. I mean, I'm not, you know, so those things that kind of occurred as um, blips on the radar as we went along um, and definitely feeling like I wasn't believed was um, frustrating. Cause I do have a pain, a high pain tolerance. I really do. So yeah, it was tough. And that's a big, big issue that I don't know if we have, you know, kind of a full understanding and be able to address, but it's, it is interesting. Um, you were your own advocate. Mm-hmm. You had your husband who was also an advocate, mm-hmm. both super educated and yep. experienced. And you did things that, um, as a healthcare trained, you know, former hospital administrator, mm-hmm. I don't know if I would have had the <laughs> foresight, yeah. dedication to do all of the pre-steps and the uh-huh. post-steps and the endurance to do all of those things. Um, kind of toward wrapping up and kind of letting you um, share with us the end of your story. So, so now you live with chronic pain. Yes. Um, Can you give us a score of what that, that is from the zero to 10 scale that we started with of nine to. Yeah, it's definitely reduced. I mean, I think before surgery, it was between like a five and a seven on a regular basis. Um, And now I'd say it's between like a two and a four. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just got, as I continued to advocate for myself outside of the um, orthopedic practice, um, got another MRI just a few weeks ago, got diagnosed with a sport hernia um, that they believe also occurred during labor. So it took 21 months to get that diagnosis accurately. Um, And I just saw a general surgeon last week um, who's going to start working with me to treat that. So I'm hoping to get that pain score down even more. Well, we definitely wish you <laughs> luck and, and the best in that. Thank you yeah, so much. I really appreciate it. And, and empathize with your position and, and really thank you for sharing your story. As my last question, I'd really like to hear from you. Yeah. If you could tell our audience mm-hmm. who uh, hopefully are everybody from physicians to administrators to patients to family members, mm-hmm. uh, your advice for people who uh, we believe as on the professional side of the delivery of healthcare, whether mm-hmm. you're a physician or administrator, nurse, uh, any of the roles, everybody's there for the right reasons. They want to help people. Yep. They got in the profession that they're in to yep. help. They're working in a very complex system that uh, sounds like it doesn't always deliver the best results or the intended mm-hmm. results. Is there anything that you can share or ask of uh, the health professionals side of the equation to to think about when they interact with their next patient or to work on for the next 20 years of their career? Anything in between that really jumps out at you? Um, I would say, well, I'd say to patients to be your own advocate and to really, you know, be educate yourself with mm-hmm. what your insurance covers, what, um, is standard procedure document, document, document everything. Um, so that you can continue to advocate yourself. And then I think to the, you know, healthcare providers and the system, you know, just trying to coordinate care, um, for patients and make it easy for them to access, um, their information, their next steps, they're getting, you know, answers to their questions in, 
in the easiest way possible. You know, they're already struggling through pain or sickness in some way. And to make it as easy as possible is, you know, would be really, really helpful. And I think leave, you know, less room for error and help people get diagnosed accurately more quickly and, you know, all that, all that stuff. So that's good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. As you process this story at home, remember that if we are going to make healthcare better, we have to begin by understanding it's not okay to have these things happen to you. The more stories we share, the more we can help one another advocate for change. Until next time, be well.